This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Brian Lager talks about faith of our fathers, and in particular, comparing Adam to St. Joseph and what their examples and roles mean for men today. Father Brian is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, George Toman. We have Father Brian Lager here to talk about our theme, Faith of Our Fathers. So Father Brian Lager was ordained a priest on May 19th, 2012. After serving in Salina, Concordia, and Plainsville, Plainville, Father Brian came to Hayes to serve as the pastor of St. Joseph Church in Hayes, as well as the chaplain of the Como Catholic Campus Center, um, or as some of us would like to say, being uh, Father Fred's successor. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking there, Fred Brian. So uh, you have a topic of faith of our fathers, Father, um, Father Brian. Wow, redundant there a little bit. But let's go ahead and talk about it. So Father Brian, again, thank you for the opening prayer, and yeah. thank you for being here today. Yeah, so uh, when, when I was told of the theme uh, for this week, uh, kind of the first thing that came to mind was faith of our fathers. And, you know, their understanding of the faith of our fathers was, you know, going back to, the, to our fathers of the church. Um, and so the, the topic that I want to talk about was faith of our biological fathers or the faith of our uh, current fathers, you know. And um, so it, it kind of uh, the topic that, that came to mind was from um, being ordained uh, nine years now and um, kind of being out in the parishes and, and being with students on the campus now, uh, just seeing kind of a... Uh, there's a lacking in theology and masculinity and and i'm not going to go into the theology of masculinity because ultimately uh, the church has never definitively said anything about that um the the church has spoken about femininity and uh, the theology of femininity john paul ii of course has uh, beautiful documents on that uh, that that describe the vocation of women and describe uh feminine the feminine genius but for for men there is there is no nothing to uh to drive the the theology of masculinity and i think my own perception of that is that because we we've talked about uh what it is to be man you know man in general not man as uh uh the gender man but we talked about man in general and so we've just kind of gained uh what it is to be a man uh from that from from the very beginnings and so so seeing how marriages are seeing how men are on college campuses this this kind of comes from that uh trying to figure out uh what it means to be a man what it means to be a father uh, what it means to be a husband and uh, and kind of gleaning from the teachings that we have from scripture to uh, to be able to speak truly into the heart of a man encourage men to be the men that that, that god is calling them to be and so uh, kind of the first place, of course, that we go, and and uh, I love to go. Uh, often, even speaking about um, about the call of of humanity is all obviously back to the beginning, Genesis, uh, Genesis one twenty six, Adam in the garden, and it says, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth." So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. 
And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there is evening, and there is morning, a sixth, a sixth day. And so we see in, we see in these five verses uh, the creation of male and female, and ultimately in Genesis 2 we hear Adam and Eve. But a couple points to be made about these first five passages is when God creates, he doesn't distinguish any other creation as male and female. It's only when it comes to humanity that he speaks about uh, them as male and female. So that speaks to the distinctions of the male and the female and the importance of that distinction that God makes. He doesn't create them one gender. He doesn't create them multiple genders. He creates them male and female, no other genders. That's it. And so I, that, that tells us uh, right there that God has a plan for females, that God has a plan for males, and that in them coming together, that he has a plan for them together as well. And so, so that plan and that purpose for man and woman is greater than any other creation. And so we also hear in this moment that they are created in the image of God. And it's not that a male is created in the image of God by himself, he is, and female created in the image of God by themselves, even though they are, together they are created in the image and likeness of God. We can go back to that and say, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so the, uh, we are created the image and likeness of God in the way that we have an intellect, in the way that we have a free will to choose, and that we come together as a communion of persons. And so in this relationship of male and female, there is a communion of persons that comes forth from that and the purpose and the whole purpose of that coming together as male and female, God then says to is to be fruitful and multiply. What is the first commandment of God? It's not thou shall not. It's not, it's not a thou shall not. It's a positive law. It is be fruitful and multiply. That's the very first command of God that he ever gives to, to man is to be fruitful and multiply. And, and so what a, what a beautiful way to look at that, that the purpose, male and female, is then to procreate. Uh, to yes. bring forth life into the world. I, I, I think that also uh, is, is God is saying, be, you know, be man, be woman, be male, be female. And when you think about a life, a child that's brought into the world, they really just exist. Um, and they're just there to be cared for and to be taken care of. And, and, it's, and uh, a child is a sign of the love uh, of a mother and father, you know. And so, uh, and so they just are. And they just exist and until, you know, they start getting up, walking around and start getting into things. Then it becomes, no, <laughs> don't touch that stuff. <laughs> don't get into that. Don't, you know. And so, so the laws come when we have to be restrained from hurting ourselves. But when man and woman start to hurt themselves, then God has to bring in rules to prevent them from hurting themselves even worse. You know, George, you were talking about the, the spiritual hood that's beyond just uh, biological uh, fatherhood or motherhood. There's a, there's a spiritual which goes to uh, religious and priests. You know, priests are meant to bring forth fruit, spiritual fruit, from the way that they baptize, can uh, hear confessions, and feed them uh, from the altar. And, uh, and so there, there's also that uh, fatherhood as well that we obviously cannot forget about um, that's extremely important in our life as well. But uh, so moving on to Genesis chapter two, verses four through nine. In the day that the Lord God had made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. We know about rain in Kansas, that it, things don't grow without it. <laughs> and so there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. 
And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now I want to stop there because there's an interesting point that comes from uh, these verses in, in Genesis chapter 2. Number one, that uh, something that is not commented on very much and uh, is the fact that Adam is actually created outside of the garden in these verses. If we listen carefully, then the Lord God formed, formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and then he and there he put put the man whom he had formed. You know, I don't have much to comment on that about that because I don't know how much is uh, how much is out there that is said about that. But it's very interesting that Adam is actually created outside of the garden, whereas Eve is created inside the garden. I, I've heard one priest from back in my college days that talked about how because man is created outside of the garden, there is a wildness about him that uh, that needs to be tamed in a sense. And so uh, and so the Eve being created in the garden, there's a purity that that exists in her in a sense, a, a perfection in a sense, because she's in the garden, in paradise, created created from man. Um, so, uh, so we don't know where Adam was created, if it was in heaven and then put in the earth. I mean, it says that the garden wasn't planted until after Adam, uh, or the garden was planted and then he, uh, Adam was put into it. And so in some way, Adam was outside the garden and then put in. So that's just, just stating that's what it says, what that means. You know, there's probably the fathers of the church that maybe have talked about it. I haven't dove deep enough into that to look. But anyway, so continuing Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, the Lord put him in the garden to till it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. So number one, uh, Adam's vocation exists before Eve has been created. So these verses come before the creation of Eve. And what is Adam's vocation is to till and to keep the garden. The Hebrew word for till is abad, which literally means to work. And so he's mean, meant to work in the garden and to work the garden. Um, the, wor the word for keep is then to shamar, to guard and to protect. And so Numbers uh, chapter 1, verses 53, and chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, specifically uses this word shamar in reference to the priests guarding the temple from intruders. And so if, if we play this out, what is, what is Adam's vocation? What is man's vocation? He's number one, to work. And so the work that he is meant to do is to work on his heart, to work in virtue, to grow in the spiritual life, and to do the hard work that most men hate doing <laughs> is, uh, is overcoming their their uh, their desires, overcoming their selfishness, and overcoming and and maybe maybe this is this is the fallen man. Of course, that's what I'm speaking about because that's what that's what I know because I am fallen. And so it's 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 working in the spiritual life that can be very difficult because men are doers, right? Uh, they typically want to do things. They want to go out and it's easier for them to go out and literally till a garden and to work in a garden than it is for them to actually till the garden of the heart and to work on the heart and open themselves up to emotions, to, to, to emotionally connect with people. It's more difficult for a man to do that than it is for him to go out and build something um, and, uh, or to pound a nail into a board or something like that. But also this shamaring that the man is called to do is, is that he's meant to uh, literally guard and protect. What is, what is Adam guarding? Number one, he's guarding from evil. He's uh, guarding the heart of himself to guard it from immodesty, guarding it from unchastity, guarding it from, from any evil that may enter in or guarding from any 
we will see later in chapter three, we'll get to that as well, guarding it from any tempter that would come in and destroy this, this harmony in which God, in which man and woman are created. And that's exactly what happens, right? The serpent comes in, destroys the, the fourfold harmony in which man is created, that, that then disrupts all of creation, disrupts this relationship that man has with woman, disrupts this relationship that man has with God and, and, the, and that man has with all of creation. And so that's what we see. So uh, moving on to Genesis chapter three. Now the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat of any of the, any of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that, and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband and he ate. When the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made, made themselves aprons. So why, why did the fall happen? Well, when we look back at the vocation of Adam before Eve is created, uh, his vocation is to till and to keep guard and protect. And so what we notice in these verses, particularly at the end of verse six, is that when Eve is tempted, that Adam is standing right next to her. And when Adam is standing right next to her, and we know that he's standing right next to her because she, it says she took of its fruit and ate it and then turned and gave it to her husband. And so, uh, and so Adam wasn't doing his job to work the garden, to care for it, to till the heart of man, to till the heart of, uh, to, to uh, work in the heart of, of guarding the heart of, um, of Eve. He wasn't shamaring in the way that he was called to shamar. And he wasn't looking for the tempter. He wasn't looking for the evil one to enter in. And so he failed. He didn't guard as, as he was meant to do. And so, you know, throughout scriptures, we talk about the sin of Adam. Now, when we say Adam, we mean all of man, of course. But when we specifically look at it, uh, we often put the blame on Eve for eating of the fruit. Okay. Or what do men often say? It's the woman's fault that she's dressed immodestly that I am lusting. Well, it's her fault because she dressed that way. Now, yes, women need to dress modestly. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. There's a protection and a guarding of their own hearts and a guarding of, of all of that, that that needs to be done. But men will often push the blame uh, onto other people and, and I see it myself. Uh, I see it myself doing things. Um, coming into a new parish, it's like, well, Father before me did that, and so it's his fault. <laughs> and so, so I'm just an inheritor. Well, no, who came in before? You know, when Twinkie, I'm joking. And so I'm an inheritor. You know, so I put the blame. And 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 no, it's it's like no, I have a heart. I have I have my own abilities. And so if, if there's something wrong, it needs to be corrected, right? And I need to be the one that steps forward. To do that. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more about Faith of Our Fathers with Father Brian Lager. Back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Faith of Our Fathers. With Father Brian Lager. George Toman conducts the interview. We are listening to Father Brian Lager. 
talking to us about fatherhood. So, uh, you know, you're talking about uh, pointing the blame I lo- and, and uh, us being, you know, uh, a one one people and, and looking out for one another. I, I also look at Cain and Abel. What does Cain say after he kills Abel and God comes to him? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Ultimately, yes, you are. And and so am I. And so are you. You know, we look out for we look out for one another. And so so we, we help one another along this road. But so anyway, going back to going back to the fall of Adam, the fall comes uh, from Adam, not guarding and protecting, as we said. So Adam fails, number one, in in not working to form a relationship with God. So th- this is the thing that that's an interesting question. Um, they they were in communion with God. They were walked in paradise with God. They walked with God. And in this moment that they were tempted, they didn't turn to God. It's an interesting thing. They had they had this perfect relationship and they didn't turn to God. Adam didn't turn to God. So why did he not turn to God? Well, I, I don't know. We don't obviously we don't know that. I think I can look into my own heart and see why why I don't turn to God. And and maybe those are the same reason that Adam didn't turn to God. So so ultimately Adam doesn't protect. You know, he doesn't he doesn't work to to form the relationship. He doesn't work to to guard the heart. He doesn't shamar the heart of, of Eve. And so he fails in his vocation to to abide and shamar. Yeah, yeah, we have the consequences of sin, right? We have the consequences of original sin, which is that concupiscence, the tendency to sin. And um and so yes, we have that. Adam didn't have that. And so he had the ability to say no and didn't. So, so why didn't he? Um, we, I mean, that'll be a question when we get into heaven. So I don't know. But like I said, I, I go back and, and I look at myself. And, uh, and so one of, the, one of the things that was pointed out to me was that when we use the word serpent, we usually think of it as the slithery snake along the ground. But the word is actually, if I remember correctly, is Nahash. And the word Nahash is not a slithery serpent snake on the ground. It's more of a beast. And um, it's more frightening than just a just a, a serpent, and so in some ways Adam probably cowered in fear, um, and so he hadn't asked God to to come and, and protect him. He hadn't asked God to fill him with uh, what we know as the gift of the Holy Spirit of courage to to battle. Maybe he was distracted. Uh, maybe he was distracted by by the temptation of of uh, of the serpent, and and you know. So he walked by Adam to get to Eve. And um, it's, so it's a failure in relationship to God because he didn't call upon God. And so, so he didn't work on that relationship with him to, to call upon him in that moment. It's a failure in relationship to his spouse because he didn't build up that relationship with his spouse. And he didn't shamar and he didn't guard. He didn't protect. And so, and so it's, a, it's a failure in that way. But, uh, but ultimately, we don't know why Adam didn't do his job. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the scriptures are not specific on that. Lots of commentators have spoken about it. Um, but I think the important question here is why as men do we fail? Why as men do we, uh, do we not fulfill our, the vocation that we are called to? Why are we sometimes, uh, frightened by the fact that God may be calling to us to something greater? Uh, why are men frightened by the call to the priesthood? Why are men frightened by, uh, by the call of when their spouse says, I want you to be me more emotionally present. Why are they frightened by that? Because it's hard work. And, uh, and it's hard to work on a relationship with God. It's hard to work on a relationship with another human being, especially a spouse. And so men fall short in those areas. And, and these, this, this is where uh, we often fall short as men. And this is where we need to continue going back to and, uh, and, and not fixing, but working on those relationships. Real quick, Father Brian, but I think about 
that story in the New Testament of Jesus' temptation, you know, yeah. shows up early and often. And, it, you know, if you're, you're kind of like, why, why, why does poor Jesus have to go through this? Like, what, what's the right. whole point? And obviously, Jesus, though tempted three times, turns to God. And then by the time that's over, again, the, the, the scriptures say the angels come and, you know, kind of protect. If, if you look at the actual temptation of the serpent to Eve, it's a threefold temptation, right? So when the woman saw that the tree was, number one, good for food, a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So in uh, 1 John, the, the author speaks of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, the threefold temptation or the threefold sins of the world. And so what, what Christ is doing is when he's tempted for, for bread to eat, he's tempted to fulfill his bodily desires. Uh, so the devil is saying, look, you're hungry. Yes, obviously he's been fasting for 40 days. He's human. And so, uh, and turn these, turn these rocks into bread, you know, and, and feed yourself. Jesus says, no, I will not do that. I don't have the exact scriptural translations here in front of me but then he says um he says uh take yourself to the top of the, of the of the temple and i will give you all of this and so there there's a a sort of greed that enters in there's a there's a lust of the eyes to to possess to to take hold of everything and he says this isn't yours to give and um and and finally he says take your uh let's go to the top of i think i got them wrong but take the top somewhere throw yourself off call upon the angel call upon the angels save you a pride that uh, a pride of life um desiring to take your own life into your own hands deciding for yourself what is good and what is evil and so that was that was the uh to desire to make one wise to decide for yourself what is good and what is evil and so that's what that's what adam and eve are doing in this moment when they're sinning is they are oh it's good for food they're gratifying their their physical desires of something that they know that is not for them to have uh, when God has very specifically said, you may eat of everything in this garden, except this one, because it will kill you. Physical death, ultimately, yes, eventually physical death, but not right in that moment. And so it is a delight to the eyes. Well, they could possess, they could possess the tree is beautiful, is great. And so I want to possess that within me, to be able to have that and, and, to, and to hoard it to myself. And the desire to make one last, to decide for myself what is good and what is evil. So if, if we look at this in our world today, what does this look like? Well, I'm going to, I see that uh, this beautiful person is something for me to possess. And so I'm going to go to the bar and I'm going to uh, try and possess this, this human being, this person, right? This, this woman, for instance. And, uh, and so I see that she is beautiful. It's a delight to the eyes. I want to possess. I want to hoard. I want to have them. And I want to gratify my physical desires. And so then I'm going to put off myself and I justify it by saying, well, you know, we've been dating for a month, so it's okay for me to gratify those physical pleasures. And so then we're going to move in together because, well, we're, you know, we're dating. And so we need to figure this out. Uh, we make for ourselves what, is, what we decide for ourselves what is truth instead of going to God and, um, and doing what we're supposed to do, right? Work on our heart to actually recognize the desires of our heart and to be able to shamar our own heart and shamar the heart of others to, to bring them to eternal life, to bring them to the fullness of what God is. So what, what's the solution? You know, we go from Adam and Eve thousands of years ago to us today. Um, the story of Adam and Eve, you know, speaking uh, to the heart of who we are 
And, uh, and, and so what do we intend to be? What is our purpose? Uh, how do we fix the wounds that have been caused within us because of original sin? And how do we, how do we strive to, to live according to God's will for us? Ultimately, the solution is, of course, the sacraments, right? Baptism, uh, confession, Eucharist, confession 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 uh you know for for, <laughs> for the duration of our life you know confession and uh and and of course the others uh marriage and holy orders and anointing of the sick those those are key but uh but to look at to repair the damage uh, that has been done by by adam i think uh in the year of saint joseph i purchased this book the other day i just saw it advertised uh it's a book called through the heart of saint joseph uh, by father boniface hicks uh, that's put out by Emmaus Road Publishing, which is the publishing company that Scott Hahn does a lot of his stuff through. Also through the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, I think is his is his center. It's so it. yep. fantastic. And so uh, Scott Hahn actually gives the, uh, uh, he writes uh, the forward, maybe? Yes. He writes the forward for this book. And so uh, there's this beautiful passage. I just got this book yesterday, and so I've only read the first 44 pages, but... Pages done, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, here, here is what, uh, you know, we don't, we don't know much about St. Joseph. Uh, and St. Joseph is, uh, in a sense, uh, quote unquote, the sleeper uh, in, in, the, in the scriptures. True, yes, right, right. Yeah. And, so, uh, and so, uh, so this is what Father Boniface says in the introduction. He says, the slow development of the church's teaching on St. Joseph is itself a teaching on St. Joseph. Uh, I love that line. That's but line. after all, the role he played in salvation history as we read in scripture was not to reveal but to hide. When men would have desecrated the mystery, he was unwilling to expose her, Matthew 1, 19. And when deadly envy threatened, he disappeared. He took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Amazingly, we also see that after decades in Nazareth, the neighbors had no idea that the incarnate word and the immaculate conception were living next door. Poor Joseph, who could only offer a pair of turtle doves in the temple to fulfill the law toward his son, served as a living veil that disguised the riches of heaven, whom he kept all those years in his home. I love, love, love that paragraph. And, uh, and, so, and so drawing from that, what is the role of men in our world today? Is it to reveal or to hide? If we go back to uh, Adam in the garden in his vocation to Shamar, to Embod, uh, the, the role of, and, and if we look at St. Joseph, we look at how St. Joseph was able to hear the heart uh, of Mary and, uh, and, and to listen to her heart and, and how Mary fully trusted Joseph. And, uh, and we don't hear about them arguing about St. Joseph having this random dream in the night and, and uh, Joseph waking up in the middle of the night and saying, Mary, we got to go. And Mary being like, what are you talking about? I've got this newborn child. We're not leaving. <laughs> and we're already, we're already in a stable. Why the heck are we going to get up and go to Egypt? You're to put this... me on a donkey and go across borders? Really? You, know, With a child. you, just, you just put me on a donkey <laughs> to come from Nazareth to, exactly. to, to Bethlehem. Yes, what? <laughs> when I was nine months pregnant, now you're going to put me on a donkey with a newborn child and go to Egypt? And so, uh, and so Mary, trusting in the heart of Joseph. And, and Joseph being fully vulnerable in, in giving his heart to Mary and, um, and opening his heart and just saying, Mary, knowing that he's a man of prayer, knowing that he trusts in God's will, Joseph, knowing that Mary trusts in God's will, knowing that their child is divine, knowing that he has a duty uh, to fulfill uh, or a role to fulfill 
in the whole plan of salvation. What, what a phenomenal moment for, for Joseph uh, to, to hide and protect the Holy Family, to, uh, to hide them from evil, to hide them from, in a sense, the devil, who in this place is Herod, who wants to kill. I mean, Herod's not the devil. Herod, yeah. is, Herod is being used by the devil to kill all the children to try and get at the king, who is Jesus. And, and, and so he put into this world to, to protect Jesus. God himself is allowing humans to protect him. Oh my goodness. <laughs> a fallen man who had original sin and a woman who was perfect, um, but, uh, but allowing himself and humbling himself to be, to be in that. And even Joseph humbling himself to ridicule for taking this pregnant woman into his home. And so, and so going through the ridicule to do what is right to listen to God's word, to listen to God's uh, voice, and to fulfill the, the the vocation that God has in mind for him. And so I, I think of the, the ridicule to families who have lots of children, the ridicule that goes on to a woman and to a man uh, when they have more than two or three children. Um, the people will, will comment on, on them when they have their children in the store. You know how that happens, right? Or uh, are all these yours? You know, just just these little comments that really dig to their heart, and and ultimately these families that that uh, are heroic in having children, multiple children, giving their hearts to uh, to what God intends for them to be fruitful and multiply. And in in this book, uh, he he makes the point of dads have to be very careful about their role. Uh, as as dads, because if uh, if they see them fly off the handle at someone outside the home, the kid realizes that dad can do that at me in the home. And so they begin to be fearful of their dad. At the same time, if they see their dad protect them in the world and stand up for them in the world, they know, like you said, dad's got my back. And um, that's huge, right, for a child to know that. So Ephesians chapter 5, what is, what is the role of man? What do we have to do? You know, uh, Father Don Calloway's book, uh, he, that he's been promoting the, the uh, uh, St. Joseph consecration. One of the phrases is, ite ad Joseph, uh, go to Joseph. And so, so th this is where I think we find our solution and we find our, our role as men in the world today is, is in Joseph. The two virtues of, of Joseph, humility and obedience. Humility to recognize um, what what his role is to play in in the world and in his in his uh, role as a, as a father of Jesus, and and God allowing him to be the father of Jesus and being referred to as the father of Jesus throughout the scriptures, even though every, they knew that Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus, and so and so the humility to call upon God uh, in his life with Mary and Joseph to call upon God enough and to have the ability to discern that in a dream, when an angel is speaking to him, to know that it is actually from God and not from an evil spirit, or it's not just a dream, but it's actually from God. And so to have the, uh, the, um, the, the, the discernment to be able to know what is God and what is not, and the humility to be able to enter into the work of the heart, to be able to form the heart in a manner that listens to God and is able to follow through, um, that's number one, and that's key for all men, for all men to give of themselves to prayer, to work on that relationship with God. And secondly, uh, with that humility, to be vulnerable in their marriage, to be vulnerable as men, to say, I'm not going to be perfect, but I, but I will do my best. And to, to open their hearts up, to be able to speak with their spouse, 
to be able to love their spouse in, in a manner in which they need to be loved. Um, and in a manner that, that the man needs to be loved as well. And, uh, and what we find is, is Jesus is right. The more that we give, the more that we receive, uh, when we pour ourselves out, we actually receive in that. And so the other virtue of Joseph that, that, uh, men ought to imitate in order to be the man that they are called to be is obedience, obedience to the commandments of God, obedience to, to the church, obedience to her teachings, humbly submitting themselves to what God, to what God says is true and, and allowing the church teachings to inform their life instead of saying, I'm going to choose for myself what is right and wrong, but to be obedient, even if we don't fully understand the church's teachings um, on, on sexuality, on, uh, on what marriage life is meant to look like, um, but to humbly submit ourselves to those teachings and even going and humbly uh, studying to try and understand it more. Um, in, in order to in order to do that and uh and also looking in ephesians chapter 5 when it says that husbands are called to love their wives love isn't about lording it over their wives and and submission of a wife to a husband is not about the husband just saying you will do whatever i say no matter what it's about husband and wife working together and and coming to a conclusion and and discussing the issues and the wife saying this is a difficult issue here's here's what i think but i'm going to let you lead and I'm going to let you make the final decision for our family, and I will support you in that. Um, and so, and so, husband and wife working through things like that with listening and humbly listening to both sides: the husband giving his side, the the wife giving her side, and to come to a conclusion together. Absolutely. Deuteronomy yes. chapter eleven, verses eighteen through twenty-three: You shall put these words of mine in your heart and your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and fix them as an emblem on your forehead. Teach them to your children, talking about them when they are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Write them on the doorposts of your house, on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. If you will diligently observe this entire commandment that I am commanding you, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and mightier than yourselves." Husbands, love your wives, pour yourselves out for your children, be like Joseph in humility and obedience, and you will be led along the right way. Before we let you go, Father, if you would please invoke your blessing upon us and listen to the audience. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. If you can help keep shows like this on the air, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. Your donation will be greatly appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 101.7 KJDM, Lindsberg Salina, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KBDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.